What's up, guys? Welcome to this week's episode of Unmuted Generations. I'm your host, Ryan Mew, and today's topic is about finding freedom as an entrepreneur. My guest is the owner of Dow Financial Solutions, a commercial equipment leasing and financial services company dedicated to helping small businesses get off the ground and fund their future. He's also a world traveler, and today we talk about individual freedom, getting out of the 9-to-5 cycle, and taking a minimalistic approach to life. Real quick, if you guys have two seconds to pause right now and subscribe to the podcast, you'll be able to stay up to date with the latest episodes and content loaded directly into your feed, so I highly suggest you do that. Without further ado, please help me welcome Jermaine Cheatham to the podcast. Hey, Jermaine, how's it going today? Hey, good, Ryan. How are you, man? I'm doing great, man. I mean, over here in California, the sun is orange, but other than that, staying indoors with AC, it, it's awesome. You're in Malaysia right now, aren't you? Yep, just uh, chilling, enjoying the morning sunrise and uh, just having a chat with you, man. That's awesome, man. So for people who don't know much of your background, I was wondering if you could go into it a little bit. Uh, yeah, so I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I figured out a way to kind of break free from that nine to five rat race and uh, start my own business. And once I started my own business, I kind of figured out I didn't want to be a slave to that business either. <laughs> so I figured out, you know, more ways to leverage and use um, kind of minimalism to break myself out of the office and be able to travel around the world and find kind of tricks and tips and hacks to do my job remotely. Um, with minimal effort and really using like automation and um, virtual assistants and just all the beautiful technology we have today to do it remotely and, you know, have 80% of my day free to go swim on the beach, go walk, go play golf, whatever. That's awesome, man. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people always think it's one way or the other. I could either live a fun life, but maybe not make as much of an income as I'd like, or the other one where you're making a lot of money, but you're constantly grinding, working like 12 hours a day. And you kind of figured out how to, how to find, you know, the middle ground and, and get a balance of both. What was kind of your beginnings like? Uh, well, my beginning was I wanted to make money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so the first it was like, Hey, let me try to grind and find out a way I can make the most money possible. And obviously that's typically in sales. Sales is one of those things where you're not a salary employee, you get paid commission. So commission is the sky's the limit, depends on how much effort you want to put in. So that was my original kind of uh, journey is on the sales route. And so I was making, you know, 300 plus calls a day, um, just trying to figure out how I could find people to say yes. Yeah. So (laughs) yeah, a lot of, a lot of no's, but it, you develop a real thick skin and um, you kind of understand you can, deal with rejection. So um, that was really like the boot camp that laid the foundation for all my future successes. Because if you can go in day in and day out for 12 hours a day with no's all day long, you really can do anything. So that was kind of the beginning of uh, my entrepreneurial journey. And then um, I found better ways to do it instead of doing 300 calls. Now I was only doing 50 calls because I found more leverage points. Um, and now I've figured out completely how to break free of you know, mostly all those calls and do everything automated. So um, just step by step, but it, the first delve into it was um, sales, dealing with rejection, dealing with my fears, and then moving past them. 
Got it. Got it. And did you know you always wanted to do sales? Was money always just a big priority of yours just growing up from the beginning part of your life? Because I know other people have different priorities. Money is sometimes looked at uh, as like, oh, he's only in it for the money. He's not going to put in the effort. He's not loyal per se, but there's other people who have a focus on family, focus on having fun. Yeah. I never thought I'd be in sales. Uh, you know, growing up, I always thought I was like the worst communicator. I, I never thought I would ever be in sales. Um, and it just kind of happened by happenstance that I ended up in sales because my original job that I got an offer for, they rescinded the offer in the 11th hour because I tried to negotiate a higher salary. Mm-hmm. So they took it away. So the only thing left was this commission only sales job. So I took it. Um, and I didn't want to take it, but I had no other options. And I was scared to death of it because I knew it required a bunch of cold calling, which I didn't want to do. So, and I didn't think I was a good salesperson or a good communicator. So imagine being in that predicament, but, um, the, the, the really driving factor in my personality really is, um, challenging my fears and the money was just a byproduct of me challenging those fears. So I knew, Hey, if I can overcome this fear of rejection, making all these calls to strangers, then the byproduct will be a fat commission check. Um, so it, it really was just me challenging these fears and seeing if they're really true or not. And the money was just the gravy on top, to be honest with you. So that's kind of the way I still think about it to this day. It's never like the, the money is beautiful because it gives you it's a tool, gives you more resources to do whatever you want. But at the end of the day, it's really just challenging your fears. And then by doing so, you get the whole world opens up to you, really. That's that's super true. I mean, especially right now, uh, especially during COVID-19, I know there's a lot of college graduates recently in Generation Z who are applying to jobs and they may get rejection after rejection and, and they kind of develop this fear of like, oh, I don't want to submit any more applications. Like I don't really want to delve into that uncomfortability because of all the fear behind it. Uh, with you and just challenging your fears, was it more of a predicament where you were put into that situation and you, and you didn't have another choice? Because I know with commission, it's always like, if I don't make my paycheck, then I'm basically don't have any money or I could get fired. Or was it more of just like a mentality that you've always had growing up? Um, a little bit of both. I think they kind of go in the same, they're kind of in the same breath mm-hmm. because if I had no other options, like if I don't make money, then I don't, I don't eat. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't have any, anything to fall back on. So it's like either I make this happen or I don't eat. So it's kind of, you got to burn the boats and kind of do or die. Um, so, but the mentality has always kind of been there where it's always been, um, I've always felt the need to explore life and kind of figure out, you know, what's really true within me. And like, you know, all these crazy thoughts within your head that are just all BS, like 99% of them are not real. They're not actual. They're just from far left field. And so I would always have to kind of challenge them and say, is this really true? You know, what else could this really mean? Let me go explore and see if this is true that, you know, people don't like me or they won't take, they won't do deals with me or I'll get hung up on every time or whatever. Um, And so I had to always challenge these weird narratives in my head. Um, So it was always kind of one in the same where I had to make it happen because I was only one that was going to be responsible for my results. Mm -hmm. And that's true to this day. That's for everybody. Everybody is an individual. And without a strong individual, we can't have a strong collective community. So I've always felt that way where I can't help others unless I help myself first. So, um, but yeah, it was, it's kind of a rambling way to say I, I had both um, the need because I know their options and also just the simple fact that um, I was the only one that was going to be relied upon. <laughs> 
Yeah, totally agree with you there. My dad was actually in sales growing up, and and talking with him, it was always commission, make or break. If I don't hit commission, the family's not fed. So it was always a really big thing, and I totally understand the stress that comes with it. What made you decide to move out of that sales space and then go and follow entrepreneurship? Uh, well, all entrepreneurs are salespeople, mm-hmm. so I'm still in sales. Um, yeah. And to me, sales isn't really—I'm not selling anything. I'm just talking to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still—I'm still doing sales. Um, me talking to you is a—we're selling. I mean, we're just communicating. So um, it hasn't changed. It's still just—it's um, really the, the to, to me the definition of sales is just conveying a message to somebody, and that's it. I'm not like trying to get you to believe my message. I'm just conveying it to you, putting a platter in front of you and you can do what, do with it, whatever you want. Um, so my whole thing is just, I just didn't want to work for anybody else. So I always wanted to be my own boss. Um, cause I didn't like the dumb meetings, the dumb ideas, the waste of my time. I mean, I'd go to the office and literally I'd be there eight hours a day, but I would probably work an hour or two max. And then you'd be in these dumb meetings where nothing ever got done. It was just always like, what am I doing here? My, my life is finite and I'm spending it here. I could be doing all types of different things in all different parts of the world. Why am I here? So I had to make that decision. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you. A lot of people think when it's selling, it's like a pyramid scheme type of thing, but then everybody needs to have some sort of sales. Even if you're not in the business profession and you're in like a medical profession, like you have so many doctors you're competing against. You have to sell yourself to that hospital you want to work at as the best hospital worker you're going to be. So I totally agree with that statement. Did you ever have any mentor figures or motivators who really pushed you to go into entrepreneurship? Because I still see that a lot of people are unwilling to be full-time entrepreneurs. We always kind of see it as a side business and a lot of people are really afraid to go all in. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the biggest risk is being afraid to go all in because if you just dip and dabble, you're never going to get any results just the way it is. So um, I'm always of the proponent of burn the boats. Um, For me, the my real huge mentorship was always the library. Mm. Um, it was always books and always different ideas and concepts from different people, um, their story, their journey, um, like, uh, you know, biographies. Um, so it, it was really, I, I used to go to the, after school every day, I would go to the library and wait for my mom to pick me up. Um, so I'd be there for three or four hours and I would just, it was kind of like a, a magical place. Cause there's so many different books that people really, you know, people don't write books to make money because there is no money in books unless you're yeah. like the 0.0001% of the population. So um, I just knew people that was just their, um, their thoughts and their ideas that they just wanted to put out in the world. And so when you can absorb that free of charge and take different people from all over the world, all their concepts and ideas and learn from them, that was really my inspiration to say, if they can do things that maybe other people think are impossible, they're just no different than me or you. So we can all do the same thing or better. Yeah. Totally agree with that. I, I feel like on top of that, books aren't read enough as, as much today. There's so many different mediums of communication now, whether it's reading a book or listening to a podcast like this, where you can take in the information. But I know there's some people who are unwilling to listen to other perspectives. So it's good that you're in the library and you always took in every different perspective you can. So how, how long have you been an entrepreneur for? And within that journey, when did you realize, hey, I want to prioritize having freedom while succeeding at your entrepreneurial business? Uh, so I've always felt like I was an entrepreneur since my first job when I was, I don't know, 10, uh, doing yard work at my neighbor's house. <laughs> that, that, that's an entrepreneur. You know, you yeah, go knock on the door and say, hey, can I, can I cut, your, cut your grass? So mm-hmm. um, I've always felt that way. I've always, even when I was an employee, I always felt like um, I own the business. I own my business and I was the boss. Um, 
So uh, I've always felt that way. Um, and the, about the freedom part, I've always felt that, well, I've kind of have different views on freedom. Um, I've always thought there's levels to freedom. The first level to me is like financial freedom where you have money where you don't have to worry about paying for stuff. It's just like, yeah, money, like you don't know where you're going to spend it. Um, and then the next level of freedom is kind of a freedom of your day and your autonomy of your day. Cause like you were saying, you can make a bunch of money, but if you're working 16 hours a day, there's, there's no freedom in that. Yeah. And you have to be at the office and you have to be stuck to this location, whatever. So the second level is getting free from your location and your time and do what you want with your day, but still have the money, obviously. And then the third level um, for, for, to me for freedom is kind of freedom from yourself and your ideas and your um, mind and like these uh, identities that you place yourself in. Um, and then once you can kind of break free of that, then you realize, oh, uh, the whole world is really the, exactly the same as me. There's no like separation between me and the other or nature or life in general. And then you can just kind of stroll around life uh, with bliss because the money doesn't make you happy. The freedom of time and location doesn't make you happy. But the third one really does the freedom of identity. Yeah. So in terms of freedom of identity, I'm I'm just trying to make sure I got this right, but you're just saying more in terms of like not having to worry about fitting into kind of like a, a, a group or something like that, just being able to be your own individual self without having to worry about anything around you. Exactly. Just be, just to be, just to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like if you look at nature and you watch a bird or a fish or anything, they're, they are just are, there's no thing. They're not doing anything else, but being, yeah. Um, and I think sometimes as humans, we get so clicky or conditioned or whatever you want to call it, where we just feel like, well, we got to fit in. We got to be accepted by the the tribe or the group. Um, and then once you realize I'm the same as any other group in the world, regardless of my skin color or my nationality or my political leanings or whatever, we're all the same. It's silly. Um, it's kind of a, it's kind of a primitive way to think about things. Um, I don't think we've caught up to our technology, our mind. So that's what I mean by kind of the freedom of your mind and identity and and that kind of thing. Yeah. I always analogize kind of what you just said to bubbles. You know, I, we all live in our own individual bubble and really to expand our bubble, we need to do things out of our comfort zone and and interact with people who have different perspectives, thoughts, and, and live in a totally different culture than us even. And we want to get to a point where we eventually expand that bubble to the point where it pops and, and we can be our own individual sense of self because of all the different perspectives we include. And I think there's a lot of people who are comfortable staying in their small bubble, you know, migrating with the same group of friends, uh, being with the same people. And they would be scared to say, hey, if, if I were to try something new, it would be a risk to my life. And you as an entrepreneur, I mean, you're all about risk taking. And they think, uh, I, I think a lot of people often associate risk with, with fear, but we can see with you that you're obviously doing pretty good for yourself and you're, if you're in Malaysia right now, you know? Yeah, I don't, yeah, risk is like, the funny thing about risk is it only hurts on the front end. Once you make the decision, that all goes away. It, you know, so it's kind of like all the, the gnashing of the teeth is on the worry is before you actually make the decision. Once the decision made, it's in the rear view mirror and you just move on. 100%, totally agree. So you were saying, you know, as an entrepreneur, one of the, a couple of the things that you wanted to do were, um, you know, automate some processes, virtual assistants. So I was wondering if you could go in to it a little, like how were you able to automate your business and, and create essentially a model to where you were able to have fun, you know, swim, travel to different countries while still getting stuff done? 
Yeah. So number one is you have to take accountability for your time and don't be a slave to someone else's demands. That's kind of like number one. So obviously when you travel internationally, the time zones are all screwed up. So I, I, I had to block off certain times of my day where I could actually work on stuff in the business, but it makes it very minimal. So literally I work for maybe an hour a day, um, but kind of in this time frame in the morning, because it's still, I think, afternoon um, back in the States, a late afternoon. And so um, I can return emails, return any phone calls I need to, but that's it. So instead of me being at anyone's beck and call, every time I get an email or a phone call, they just know, oh, I'm going to hear from Jermaine in the late afternoon. <laughs> so um, it, it, you kind of train people to realize, oh, that's when I'll probably hear back from him because that's when he normally does. And a lot of people are always like, oh, I got to return the call within an hour. Or I got to return the call within 30 minutes or he's going to call somebody else. You know, if someone's going to be that um, finicky and wants to call a competitor, then go ahead. I don't, don't care. Um, so um, you got to train people. Uh, so, so a lot of it's a mindset. Train people to understand your time frame and when you get business done and, instead of catering to them. So that's a small little thing, but it, 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 it gives you so much free time. It's crazy. Um, now, regarding like automation tools, there's so many out there when it comes to technology, especially when you're looking for clients or even communicating with clients. So like LinkedIn, there's all types of automation tools with LinkedIn where you can uh, go into LinkedIn, message people on automatic basis and have cadences when they respond. You have a, a message responding accordingly, but you don't touch anything. It's already set up in advance. So there's so many automation tools just like that for LinkedIn or for Google or for email automation where you just don't have to ha have your hands into everything at all times. And then any responses that do come across, they, they may appear to come from you, but they're probably coming from just a, a virtual assistant that is in your email mailbox or your LinkedIn mailbox and responding to people. Cause you know, I have a, a script of exactly what people ask and questions they have. I've been doing this for oh, since 2003. So like, I, I know exactly what people are going to ask. It's no more than the same five questions I get all the time. Yeah. So, you know, you know what, how to respond. So I put together like a blueprint of exactly um, every SOP that they would ever run into. So they have um, exactly what they need to say to respond to anybody. Got it. Got it. And that totally makes sense. Like, I, I know there's a lot of people who feel like when a job opens up, for example, I need to apply to this right away. Or if they're opening a business, like I need to ship this out right away. But, uh, you know, like you're saying, a lot of people have a bunch of other things going on. It's just kind of a, a, a weird thought at the back of your head and a, an irrational fear per se. And I guess playing devil's advocate. So, you know, and, and I'm assuming it's more of like an older school mentality, but I would say that there's some people who would probably listen to what you said and say, oh, well, maybe it's not, he's not giving the personal touch though. What, what do you have to say to that? Yeah, I think it depends on your mindset. So mm -hmm. if you're okay working eight hours a day, doing that all day, then do that. But if you want to go surfing and then go down to the boardwalk and then go do other stuff, then there's another route for you to go. So it depends, I think, on your personality. Um, there's no personal touch for me to, to, for personally, for me, if someone says, hey, can you send me an application for um, I'm looking to get financing in place for me to respond? Oh, here you go, Todd. Here's attached to the application. There's nothing personal about that. I yeah. can easily have a VA or um, an automation tool send that. So there's nothing. There's, it's a very, um, I guess the, the communication style for the most part is transactional where it's just like, hey, send me an application or uh, how long does it take to get this approved? Uh, 24 hours. Got it. There's, you know, so it's, it's kind of up to you, but some people are like very hands-on and they want to, you know, 
uh, write out every email and be really hands-on and that's fine. Um, that's just their personality style. My personality style is like, let's just get this out the door, get people what they need as quick as possible. Um, and then let me get on with my day. Yeah. Very straightforward. And and that's probably the best way to do it. Honestly, some people don't like you hoking around and, and everything like that. Going back to kind of your, your business, because I, I'm sure people who are listening are curious about what you actually do. So I was wondering if you could go into your business a little. Um, so I guess the easiest way to think about it is um, we do business loans. So any business really in the United States that needs any type of loan for equipment. So for example, say you go to your dentist's office and you get your teeth x-rayed. Most of that equipment there is, is financed or leased. Um, so we would be the ones behind the scenes that actually um, do the financing on that and put it together. And a lot of people think, oh, well, don't people just get loans from the bank? But the truth is the bank doesn't really like to, to lend to small and medium-sized businesses. They only like to lend to large businesses because they want to do a, you know, they want to do a hundred million dollar loan, not a $40,000 loan. So they're not, they're not hungry, actively, proactively looking for those type of deals. So that's where someone like myself comes in and I actually partner with the people that sell the equipment into those type of businesses. So when they have clients that need to buy their equipment and they don't want to pay cash, they'd rather you know pay 400 bucks a month instead of 40 grand for the x-ray equipment. Then they say, Hey, Jermaine, Dr. Smith wants to do some financing here, you know, here, contact him. Here's his phone number, that kind of thing. So we're kind of the, um, the person that does a lot of the hunting for the deals. Um, so yeah, we do financing. You get paid by the bank, uh, a commission to, um, get them deals. So it's great. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's helping out a lot of different businesses during this time that are probably suffering because of COVID. Um, you said something interesting just in terms of like how there's a lot of small businesses who are operating during COVID. Some businesses had to get shut down and then they reopen and then they shut down again, really differs based on the state or whatever country you're in. Prior to this episode, when we touched base, one of the things that you were saying were not all businesses are in a black hole during this time. It is possible to be successful. So I was wondering if you could kind of go into your thought process behind that a little. Well, there's only really a couple businesses that are really struggling. Um, restaurant, hospitality, um, everyone else, I don't see yet any issues. I think we're still kind of in the first inning of this whole thing. I think we'll know a lot more come next year. Um, but yeah, there's, if, if there's a will, there's always a way. You just got to learn how to pivot and, and change your method. Like if, if you're a restaurant, now you got to do takeout. It's just the way it is. So um, there's either creators in life or there's victims in life. And so if you're a business owner, you got to figure out, well, how can I create something that is going to handle and deal with the current economic situation I'm in? Um, that's just what you have to do. Like, like for me, I was making those 300 cold calls a day. It wasn't working. Yep. So I had to be, I had to figure out, well, why should, why would I call the people that actually need the financing, the doctors? Why would I call the doctors directly? Why don't I just call the people that sell the equipment into the doctor's office? So if I talk to one guy, he talks to 15, 20, 30, a hundred different doctor's office, let him do the selling for me. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you have to just think outside the box and be creative instead of a victim of this situation. So um, I think that's just the way businesses and entrepreneurs um, think hopefully. And if they don't think like that, then they're probably not going to be successful. And um, they probably sh- shouldn't be in business. And that's kind of one of the problems we have right now is because a lot of these uh, loans that the government's giving out for free to these businesses, they're basically the zombie companies. These are big and small businesses mm-hmm. where um, mostly the bigger businesses, actually, they, sh- they should be out of business. They shouldn't be in business anymore because they didn't, um, they weren't fiscally responsible. I don't care if it's an airline 
or uh, a cruise line or a restaurant or whatever, if you're not fiscally responsible and you're doing buybacks and you, instead of putting money in the bank for a rainy day, but you bought back your own stock, you should be out of business. But um, we'll see what happens long-term with that. But um, that was a little rant. That was a side rant. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's very true. It's very, very true. I mean, you see, I I remember I saw this list on Forbes and it just had a list of businesses just tanking, filing for bankruptcy. And a lot of times it's like, okay, I could see why that isn't working because like you were saying, it's like a restaurant makes sense. It can't serve customers, but then, you know, you see like a clothing company here and there and I'm like, okay, well, they could, they'll ship clothes to customers. There's other ways they could work it out. And like you were saying, if they aren't having a rainy day fund to pay their workers and then they're just laying off a bunch of people and they don't have any standard uh, standardized policies in place, then it's really bad for them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and this whole thing was out of left field, this whole COVID thing. So a lot of businesses were kind of left high and dry, but um, I always think it's shocking when, if, if you're a business or even as an individual, if you don't have, like, I don't know what you're doing, spending money on clothes or restaurants or anything, or your business, if you don't have six months of emergency money set aside. Like, that's like the first thing you do because that's how you can sleep at night, plan for the future without using all your emotional energy thinking about, well, what if, what if, what if? Yeah, I got six months worth of savings on the side. You know, you have the, that's the number one priority for individuals and businesses. Start saving your money so you have a nest egg in case shit hits the fan where you're not going to be sweating it because you have resources. But now, you know, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place because you didn't plan accordingly. So um, regardless of the business or individual, that's like rule number one for me. Yeah, 1000% agree with you on that. I think we're seeing a lot of it uh, down here in California and Los Angeles in particular. There were a lot of rent deferrals. People weren't paying rent for up to six months. And then when the homeowners come uh, and they say, hey, we need to collect the rent now because it's been six months, a lot of people are just leaving the state and there's all types of laws being passed. It's, it's pretty crazy, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Like you were saying, this is kind of the first inning, so we don't know. <laughs> um, no, we don't kind of going off of that. You were kind of saying that we need a, as an entrepreneur, it's really important to optimize your process over time uh, and kind of think outside the box, be creative. W- was that just kind of a natural ability that you were able to have over time or, um, is there a time on your calendar that you set aside every week to think about like, Hey, how could I optimize this? How can I automate? Do you consult somebody? Yeah. So it's kind of a natural progression just from trying and experimenting. Um, Cause you don't know until you try something out to see if it's going to work or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm naturally, that's my natural inclination. It's just, I do a lot of experiments and kind of see what works and what doesn't and then make small tweaks as I go along. Um, and so I've been doing it for such a long time. I kind of find better ways to do it. Don't, I don't really consult with anybody. The only thing I do is consult with myself. <laughs> um, so what I'll do usually is like, um, like today, today's Sunday for me in, in Malaysia. So I, this is the only digital exposure I'll have because I kind of do a digital detox. And, um, so after this, it's what at 7am, I think right now. Yeah. So I'll shut down all my laptops, all my phones, no music, no books, and I'll just have a journal, um, a pen and paper and any ideas I have from the previous week that kind of stuck with me, um, ways maybe to optimize or get better at the business or me personally or uh, investment idea or whatever. Um, I'll just write it down and start riffing on it and think about it and kind of dissect it because I always feel like we get so much information from YouTube and articles and, you know, Twitter or whatever. Um, it's hard to disseminate like 
what's the important stuff? Cause it's like a fire hose in your face. Yeah. So I take that, I take that one day to kind of think back on the whole week and like what stuck with me, like what was the important stuff? Um, and I kind of have a saying like the good shit sticks. I don't have to like really think about it cause it comes back to me. Like the most important stuff always comes back to you. Um, so that's my time for me to kind of reflect on my week and then make kind of small changes to my business or my personal life. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I think, for example, with me, I always get overloaded with information. I'll, my phone will be blowing up with calls, probably similar to yourself. You know, the podcast, I'll, I'll get different notifications and messages on Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn. And it'll be like 12 o'clock at night. And I'm like, shoot, I should be asleep by now. You know, I need to, I need to have a digital detox similar to that. Because with me is like, oh, if I'm, if I'm on the go or if I'm in the shower, if I'm just walking my dog and I think of something, then I'll like take my phone out and write it out immediately. But it's important, like you were saying, to just have like a day that you dedicate to just growth. I mean, that's, that's like the pinnacle of the human journey in general. Um, Sure. Another thing you kind of listed as a self-belief is if I can't make it simple, easy, and fun, I'm not doing it. And I'm kind of just curious, where did you get that mentality from? Um, I guess it's just from observation. Um, like pay, I guess this is really just kind of pay attention to my own psychological and, and um, emotional state. Like if I'm in a situation and I feel overwhelmed or I feel like I don't want to do something difficult or whatever it is, I kind of have to step back. Like for example – you know, I would look at my, um, like my closet would be like full of clothes and shoes and all this stuff. And it would kind of make me kind of somewhat anxious. Cause I'm like, why I have all this stuff I have to move or I have to get a U-Haul or all this stuff. And it's like, this isn't simple, easy, or fun having all this stuff. Cause the truth is I wear 10% of these clothes. I mean, maybe 5% of the clothes, you know, I have a hundred shirts and I wear four all the time. So it's like, why do I have all this stuff? So what would this look like if it were simple, easy, and fun? Uh, I would get rid of everything, but I except the stuff I love, and then donate it. That's simple, easy, and it's fun. Or like if I'm trying to work out, I'm like, I don't want to work out today. I don't know what to do. Like now I gotta find a workout app, and I gotta figure out what to do first, and I gotta just get the shoes. Like if, all right, so I talked to myself, Jermaine. Like what would this look like if it was simple, easy, and fun? Like what would it look like, and what it, what would it feel like? And I'd think about it, and I would kind of visualize what it looked like. Well, I can do a push up right now. The floor is right there. That's simple. It's not complex. Is it easy? Yeah, I can do it right now. I don't have to like read a book about it. And is it fun? Well, what if I put in music, put music on? Now it's fun. So simple, easy, fun. So you start doing push-ups. Like just get started. So I kind of have to think about my day-to-day process and like I start feeling anxious or upset or whatever. Like how can I how can I change this to make it simple, easy, and fun? Visualize it and then implement it. Got it. Yeah, I'm, I think we as humans, we tend to overload ourselves and overcomplicate things, kind of like what you were saying, workouts. I don't know if I'm doing CrossFit or hot yoga today kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I think because of it, we tend to get into this weird circadian rhythm where it's like we aren't doing anything because we're just so stuck in our thoughts or we aren't doing it with like 100% effort. So it's really cool that you have more of like a minimalistic mindset to where you're like, oh, I don't need to get the most expensive fitness app out there and sign up for 12 months of membership or count calories or, or buy like Gucci shirts or Louis Vuitton, you know, I could just, I mean, they're nice to have, but at the same time, I could just enjoy life as, as it is. Well, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm pro nice things, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm only pro things I love. So if I like Gucci, I'm not going to have 10 Gucci shirts. I'm going to have the one Gucci shirt I love. Got it. Because you can't, you can't, it's, it's almost the same, it's kind of the same idea of as investing. 
Like you can't literally be in love with 50 stocks or 50 companies. Like the truth is if you, there's going to be like one or two, you absolutely are in love with, they have the best products. So why would I diversify into those other 48? I would just put all that money into those first two. So it's kind of the same idea. Like I, I live, I have a backpack, I have two backpacks and that's the only thing I live out of. I sold my house, sold my car, all that stuff. And so cause that, that's how I can travel around the world, but I have very expensive clothes and things, but I don't have many of them. I, the things I do have, I love. So if, if you see me wearing the same shirt all the time, cause I've, I love that shirt. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it might be $150 shirt or, or more expensive or, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't matter how much it costs. The point is I love it. Um, or if I had a watch, I would be the one watch I loved instead of having 10 different watches to match my shoes. That's dumb. Cause the truth is there's one watch and there's one pair of shoes you love more than the other ones. Just use that one and then keep it moving. So um, it makes your life simple, easy, and fun. And you're not always trying to figure out how can I maintain all this stuff? You know, my car, I got to get, I got to get it washed. Oh, the house, I got to get the insurance on it. I got to fix yeah. the plumbing. Like, ugh, I, I just want to go chill out, man, and have fun. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Uh, it's kind of similar to that. Um, it, it's like a new trend that's going up where you only own like 20 articles of clothing and that's what you just switch it out and you make sure you're able to uh, interchange it. So it doesn't look like you're wearing the same outfit every day. Pretty similar concept, but it's awesome to hear that, uh, you know, you're able to travel around the world doing what you love and uh, kind of curious. So you sold your house and, and everything in the States and decided, Hey, I'm just going to travel the world. Yeah. I, well, yeah, I sold the house a couple of years, maybe two years ago. And, um, I was just, it was just, there's no reason for me to have it. It's just like, I'd rather just move around, um, travel. Uh, the car was kind of holding me down. Like one of the things I always hated about cars, it's like, they're fun to show your friends and like they're fancy and stuff. Yeah. But you got to take care of them. You got to get the gas. You got to wash them. Um, the biggest, the biggest thing I always hated about cars is the parking. I hated it. Like I'm going <laughs> to the movies or the mall or wherever I'm going to the basketball game or whatever, just drop me off in the front, man. So like Uber and Lyft are the best thing ever. Cause it's like, just get me there. I, I don't, I don't care about parking and you know what I mean? It's like this yeah. more, it's more stuff to do busy work. Mm -hmm. I hate busy work. So, um, yeah, that was kind of the decision. I, I, I had to figure out what I wanted and that's the way the direction I went. So less is more for me. Awesome. Just kind of in and out type of thing, instead of having to search 20 minutes for parking, uh, what countries have you traveled to? Okay. So, uh, so right now I'm in Malaysia before here I was in, um, Thailand and mm. then I was in China. Um, I've been to, uh, let's see, Panama, uh, Honduras, uh, all the Caribbean, uh, all through Europe. So France, Spain, uh, Netherlands, Brussels, um, where else? Uh, Italy, um, all throughout the United States. I did like an eight week road trip throughout the United States West. So I went to all the national parks. Um, so those are the most, most of the places I've been to, um, so Central America, Italy, um, Asia, Asia. Yeah. Got it. And you were kind of talking earlier how a lot of, uh, just type of freedom and how freedom is like kind of expanding to the point to where you could just be free with yourself and your own individual, uh, personality and feelings and everything. And I was wondering, traveling to all these different countries, I'm sure like the culture is different. The perspectives of people are different. Did that really help you on that journey? Um, yeah, it did. It made me appreciate the United States a lot more. <laughs> um, the beautiful thing about the United States is it's the only place in the world where 
you can say and do whatever you want. Like if you want to build a business or you want to say something about the president or you want to do whatever, you can do it. Um, and that's the beautiful part about it, but it's kind of a double-edged sword because sometimes we're a little bit too individualistic on that end and we don't think about the collective. Um, in other countries, for the most part, the collective comes first and the individual is kind of a side note. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see they both have their benefits. Um, I just think as Americans, we have so much freedom and a lot of times we don't even know it because we don't go anywhere else internationally to see what other people deal with as far as, as far as the restrictions and the, the lifestyle and just the, the group think and just uh, it's crazy. Americans, I think sometimes we're just not um, aware of what's really going on in the rest of the world and how lucky we are to have the opportunities we have. So I think that's always been interesting to me. And um, I do think Amer in America, if we can figure out a way to combine the individual with the community in a better, more holistic way and not be so dogmatic about these identities and these groups, it'll, it'll be a beautiful making. But I think we're kind of going through a little turmoil right now. We'll, we'll come out of it on the backside but and, and be better. But we're, that's what we're struggling with right now is the collective versus the individual. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think there's the issue is, is that there's, to, uh, there's a very polarizing figure in, in our president where he, he tends to either attract people or, or divide people even further. And a lot of people, kind of what we were talking about is they go into different cliques and uh, then it's just everybody fighting <laughs> against each other instead of having that collectivist attitude. The, the uh, Even with groupthink and stuff like that, it's just groupthink and a bunch of different cliques. And, and if one doesn't agree with the other, then one's a racist, one's, you know, a horrible person who doesn't care about humanity. So it's, it's kind of crazy in America, but I, I do believe we'll come out on the back end because in, in my culture in uh, the Philippines, I mean, it's crazy over there right now. The president just passed a law where it's like he, he essentially cut off all the news media. And if, and if anybody says anything bad about him, he's a terrorist. I'm like, if over here, we could write anything about Trump and, and I don't think we'll get our heads chopped up, you know? No. Yeah, I know. That's, I was going to go to the Philippines because it's pretty close to here. And I was like, ah, a little bit too much turmoil over there right now. So, yeah. Well, that's why I was surprised when you said you went to China too, because over there, they're going through it too. Yeah, I was there right before, I was in, there in January. Uh, I went to Hong Kong and I was there right before the whole COVID thing kind of locked down. So, yeah, it's just a different, whole different culture, man, a whole different way of thinking where it's just, uh, it's just crazy. It's like night and day compared to the United States. But the interesting thing about the um, about the uh, the election or just president, the presidential thing in general is it's just funny that we put so much weight on one person when the truth is they don't do that much. Yeah, they, they, there's checks and balances. That's why the founding fathers put that in place. So um, I, I always think we put so much emphasis on other people. Like, I don't care if it's Trump or it's the Kardashians or whatever. Why are we focusing so much on other people when we have a lot of work to do internally on ourselves? Like, like it's, you know, it's easy to point the finger, but you know, it's always pointing back at you. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's what it, it is. I think there's a lot of people who like to play the victim mentality and they don't like to uh, hold themselves accountable, accountable for their actions. And they'll say, man, I'm, I'm living a horrible life. Like I have the job I want, you know, I'm not happy where I live or I'm not happy with the people I'm around. And it's all this guy's fault, not mine. Uh, you, you tend to be just very introspective from just talking to you. So I'm kind of wondering where you were able to develop that and kind of like the owning up for your mistakes and your successes from. Um, I, don't, I, I think at a very young age, I had to figure out, 
you know, where my place was in the world. And I came from a broken family, no mm-hmm. father at home. Um, I'm black and I'm white. So I was like, I don't, I don't know even who I am. Um, Cause like the little kids would run up at me and ask, Hey, what are you? What are you? And I didn't know what they were even talking about. They were like trying to figure out like what race I am. And so at a, at a young age, when you're five and six, trying to figure out like, well, what are they even talking about? What does this even mean? Black and white. And like trying to get this through my head. And um, yeah. so I had to kind of wrestle with these ideas at a very young age. So I came to the conclusion where, well, I, it's up to me if it's going to be really like whoever I'm going to be, regardless of my skin color or my gender or my nationality, whatever I'm going to make in my life is going to be on my shoulders. Um, and I get to choose how the direction I want to go. So it was kind of something I had to come up with um, an explanation of the world at a young age. Um, and so it's always kind of permeated to this day where it's just like, if I want to do something, I got, it's up to me to do it and make it happen. So um, it's, it's I love the idea of personal accountability because that's all you got really. Um, so it's like the most important virtue to me is personal accountability because from that you get the freedom. Yeah. And I highly respect that about you. I think there is a mentality that exists in the United States where, uh, if you tend to, you know, kind of like your journey come from a broken home, uh, not necessarily have that influential figure in the picture, you kind of get a pass if you aren't able to be personal, to be, a uh, be accountable for your own actions and stuff like that. And I'm kind of just curious, did you have any like mentor figures or people who were kind of like leading you through that journey? Since you were, you're saying you came from a broken home, you're dealing with like having uh, kids wonder if you're black or white in that situation. Yeah, I guess the biggest, well, the, I, I guess you could say two mentors. One, my mom would always, she was a very hard worker, but she was gone most of the time because she had to hold down a couple of jobs. So, um, I would see her work ethic. Like she'd always be working, always be hustling, um, finding side jobs. So that was always kind of good to see that she's working. Like there's no, there's no welfare checks. There's no scapegoats. There's no um, government assistance. It's like, we're, yeah, we don't live in nice places and we're in the hood, but we're going to make it happen. So that, that was beautiful to see, even though she wasn't around a whole lot, cause she was always working. Um, my grandmother, I spent a lot of time with her cause obviously my mom was at work and she was always kind of a very open-minded individual. So, um, she was always kind of giving me these ideas about, um, you know, different concepts from different books. And she always had quotes going on. And like, she'd always, uh, you know, just talk about stuff that was, had nothing to do with like pop culture. It always had to do with like ideas. Um, so I think I, at a young age, I had uh, kind of a lot of ideas. And then when you mix that kind of environment with me being at the library so much, I naturally kind of gravitated towards learning about ideas. That's perfect. Yeah. I mean, I think there's not enough ideas being passed around uh, nowadays because like we were kind of talking about, there's a lot of clicks out there. And if I don't, if I have an idea that differs from yours, then I'm a bad person type of thing. (laughs) And pop culture with social media, Twitter, you see all these headlines. Uh, The thing that I hate is I could read a headline. I could go down and see an article that says one perspective that's extreme on the left or right. And I'll scroll down a little further and they'll twist it. And I'll read both things and then I'll read the actual true story of what happened. And it's totally different. Totally. I know it's, it's kind of sick what's going on in the media on both sides of the fence. Cause they're trying to manipulate us. Um, so it's up to us. Like the accountability thing comes into play. You have to be accountable for the information you take in and actually do your due diligence. If you're going to take in that information, do your due diligence to make sure this is the whole story. Don't just take it as gospel. Cause the, the, this isn't the news anymore. This is opinion. Yeah. Totally agree. And it, <laughs> I, I, I think if, if uh, I, I'm not sure if it's because we're in an election year 
or news outlets have just gotten really good at manipulating the information and hitting people with those 15 second headlines. You know, I, I'm not really sure where it comes from, but it, it started in 20. It's, I think it definitely started in 2016. As soon as Trump made it the office, mm. he, you know, he started attacking the media for the stuff they do. And so now they're pushing back even harder. So, you know, and now, and so the, the left is pushing back on Trump, making up stories and everything that he believes in his side believes in. So then Fox news is going to do their side to make, it's like, yeah. this is crazy. So like my whole thing is like, I'm not left or right. I don't care. Yeah. I just care about individuals thinking for themselves and, and getting the whole truth and, and taking ownership of yourself first. You can't worry about the community because you can't help the community community if you don't help yourself. So um, it's just kind of, it's kind of a wonky situation we're in right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember I was talking to one guest and he, he said something along the lines of like, Hey, if I, if I'm not able to affect politics or be nominated as president in any way, except for vote, obviously, then I'm not even going to try to have that discussion and just work on my own personal development and growth. So it's great that you just have that message of accountability and really just doing everything you can to make things simple, fun, and easy in that uh, sense. So I was kind of wondering, what are your next plans for your entrepreneurship uh, and business? Do you have, are you just going to, is your business booming during this time uh, with all the loans, unfortunately, or um, do you have any plans to open up another business? Like what, what's going on? Yeah. So we've been, uh, when the shutdown first happened, it was pretty slow because nobody was doing anything, mm -hmm. but there was a lot of pent up demand. So yeah, we're pretty busy right now because all that pent up demand is now kind of being released. So we're definitely staying busy on that front. But what I'm doing now is since I started really kind of traveling and exploring more and like, um, I've really been traveling almost full time starting this year when I started full time. Um, I took several trips the last two years, extended trips, you know, more than four months. Um, but now I realize, you know, I have this crazy life. Like I get to make as much money as I want, all this freedom, all these cool things I can do, but I'm kind of just keep it a secret because it's just my business. So, you know, now that I have the VA working and they're doing all my stuff on the backside and I have all these automation tools and um, standard operating procedures written down, I, I'm, I'm putting it out there to other people to learn from. So I put together a course where people can learn exactly what I do step-by-step and um, give them the blueprint. So hopefully they do it, actually take action and implement this and they can live the same lifestyle and travel around the world or they want to stay in the States, stay in the States, but you don't have to go to the office or work for anybody. You work for yourself. So um, that's what I'm putting together right now. And we just finalized it maybe a couple months ago. So it's, it's going great. That's awesome. And just for viewers listening at home, it's not one of those where it's like uh, the ones you see on YouTube. Do you want to change your life? Motivational. <laughs> Like you actually have a blueprint and a plan behind it, correct? Yeah, this is actually a business. So it's okay. turnkey. So yeah, I'm not, and this is, there's no such thing as get rich quick. It's like either you put in the work or you don't. Um, but I've, but I've done it for such a long time. I figured out all the, the best ways to do it because I've tried them all. And I'm just giving everybody the tools that I use. Like, this is just what I do. This is how I do my business. And if you want to do it the way I do it, great. If you want to change it at all, you can change it. I don't care. But I'm just giving you my blueprint. And if you want to take it and run with it, great. And you want to get on the course and, and learn about it, I'm, I'm here for you. But um, I, don't, I don't need the money. I don't need – I'm just here to try to give something that I learned um, to people that may, don't know about this industry because it's a niche you know, trillion-dollar industry because people just think people go to the bank to get loans. It, it, businesses don't. They – they go to people like me to get loans for their equipment. So um, I just want to put this out in the world because it's not fair for people in my mind to go to a nine to five job that you hate, 
hate the boss, hate the meetings, you feel stuck. Because I felt that way when I worked uh, for a boss. And now I have this kind of secret that I'm just keeping to myself. So um, I'm willing to put it out there and hopefully help people. Got it. That's beautiful. And just giving back to the community, that's so important, especially nowadays. And I hope there's a lot of people that learn from that. Uh, do you have anything else to plug in or any final messages for our audience? I'm going to go put the link to your uh website where people could go attend the class down in the episode description? Um, I guess the only thing I would say is this trust yourself um, and follow your fear. Um, and usually those two go hand in hand. Um, I've always followed my fear and it gave me this ultimate freedom. So um, if you succumb to your fear, it's just like, you're just going to be stuck. So I've always followed my fear and just trusted myself that I'm going in the right direction. You know, even if I make a mistake, I realize that mistake's going to lead me somewhere else. So that's the only thing I would say. Exactly. Own up to your successes and mistakes. That's super, that's a super good message. That I think everybody, including myself needs to hear. So thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I appreciate it, dude. No problem, man. And for those of you guys listening at home, please make sure to leave a rating or review after this episode. Would highly appreciate it. I'll see you guys later.